You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium Games, Star Citizen, and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to Beyond the Verse Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. And we are blessed today with Paul from the Astro Historian to bring you episode eight, which we are entitling Invictus. Paul, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a true blessing having you on. You've you've paved the way, and, and we'll get into a little bit of this, like the six years you've been doing this. Um, you are all lore. You have really brought us um, some of these gold nuggets on why we play Star Citizen. Um, so one, thank you for that. Thanks for paving the way. I hope to follow in your footsteps, but I look forward to today's conversation, brother. Thanks so much. Yeah, it sounds it sounds good. Uh, it, sounds, yeah. it sounds it's it's been fun, and I, I I managed to pick up some of your videos and some of the podcast early. Some YouTube blessed me with throwing throwing some my yeah. way, and I'm like, this person is doing content on more. Yeah. I must, I must reach out to them because uh, absolutely for 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 as long as i've been doing this sometimes i'm often the only person talking about lore and so when we when when i hear somebody's like paul I, i'd like to do more do some lore stuff but paul does and i'm like no please i feel like the, <laughs> the crazy man in the wilderness calling out being like listen to the lore it's like oh, but i don't want to step on your toes it's like no dude step on my toes please absolutely. step on it absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well yeah I mean, you know the more people we get uh, into the conversation right the more the lore gets obviously brought up and the more it gets discussed clearly um, but there's there's so much here um, and I've said it before in a couple of shows uh, but I'll say it again people have told me that why talk about lore the game's not launched yet um, you know it's been in production for a decade why discuss something that might change and I think that's that's like the blessing and the curse <laughs> of, of talking about lore yeah it might change it absolutely might change but what better platform or what better subject matter to discuss than this when hey remember last year when it was xyz now it's something completely different let's dive into it let's dive into the why what does it mean to the development what does it mean to production and editorial marketing etc um, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to lore beyond just the story being told well, yeah, and and the other thing that a lot of people don't like to admit is that every story is being told. Yeah. Every IP you've ever followed, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, just just any science fiction, fantasy, drama, it doesn't matter. Even yeah. if that IP has been around for decades, yeah. a century, it can still be changed because it, it often yeah. does get changed because new things need to be added. So changing the lore is not anything new for any story, especially yeah. as a story that's evolving in Star Citizen. But Absolutely. The, core, the core features will always be there in Star Citizen. Yeah. And there, so the, some of those core features, those themes are always very important to dive into when you're trying to examine what the game will be because lore and gameplay are so intertwined in yes. some cases, so. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's for me, it's the why we play, right? Like it's one thing to get out there in PVP and, 
I don't know, uh, <laughs> fight and go yeah. go on the ground and have ground warfare. Like, all that's great. You can play Call of Duty if you wanted to. Uh, but it's the story of Star Citizen that really uh, brings the value, in my opinion, to something that's so sandboxed, something that is so open world. Um, so quickly, let's talk uh, about previously Beyond the Verse. Again, for those of you all first-time listeners, first-time viewers, um, this is episode eight. So in the first seven episodes, we cover... Um, today's date like literally real time all the way to the 29th century so we last uh, we last left off at 2800 with the peace treaty of the ark and so what we do is we discuss news all that fun stuff so that you don't necessarily have to dive into i'm holding this up but like 13 pages of squadron 42 notes i'm doing it for you Um, But we're also talking about this 800 years of lore between 2023 and 2953. So we last left off at the Ark. We're going to take a break from that. We're going to get into Invictus. Obviously, at the end of this month uh, is the Invictus launch week. And that is what me and Paul, Astro Historian, are going to be talking about today. But if you are interested, episode seven, uh, we talked about the latest jump point with the rebuilding of Loreville uh, and Anvil Aerospace uh, special, a Bengal carrier drop, a pyrotechnic amalgamated uh, lore drop. We discussed 319, 320. We talked jump down 2.1, subscriber flare, roadmap roundup. Uh, we went into the inside star citizen. And then, like I said, we discussed all the peace um activity in the lore that happened in the 28th century so like i said we unpack a lot in this show and we do so within an hour so uh it's a lot and we move fast and we move hot and heavy let's talk about this week and beyond the verse so we did have on monday we had this weekend in star citizen uh that dropped we'll go quickly through that on tuesday we had the whitley's guide the uh, Misk Prospector, which that's way too much lore. I mean, between you and me, Paul, way too much lore. It's like three pages worth of a backstory. It, yeah, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> doing a video on it for this weekend, so yeah. uh, I've, I've been looking through it. It's and and it even I'm gonna even make it even more. It's there's more through this because this touches on other aspects of the lore that have been written in the past, and yeah. so it all kind of dovetails and fishes in together. So Absolutely. it's even longer than three pages. So. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. That is all you, brother. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch you dive into it. That's my albatross to carry at this point. So, uh, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's a great, it's a great ship, and actually, uh, you know, all joking aside, it actually is a really interesting uh, story. And just a quick example: um, for one ship, they take three pages to discuss how they rolled it out. Like, again, you can't tell me there's no lore. It's, it's three pages. I'm holding it up right now. There's three pages of who launched and in what order it launched. So we'll get into that here in a second. Just crazy amount of lore. On Wednesday, there was a Squadron 42 monthly report. Again, like nine pages worth of, of data to mine. I'm going to go through it in like 10 seconds. You'll love me. And then this morning, um, or actually this afternoon, we had Inside Star Citizen, which discussed the upcoming diverse settlements uh, and actually had like a an Easter egg. I don't know if you caught this, Paul, but at the end of that video, they talked about the uh, the Mirai. They talked about the special like edition of of Misk. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll get in we'll get into that. But before we do, Paul, I want to learn about you, brother, and I'm sure everybody else right. who's listening wants to learn about you. So, uh, 
do, do a quick bio. Who are you? As if, as if no one already knows, but uh, who, who are you? What have you been doing in the last six years? Let's, let's learn. Uh, my, my name is Paul uh, Berserker One Batman Shelley. Uh, I run two show, two two series, uh, the Astro Pub and the Astro Historian. For the longest time, I ran just the Astro Pub. Uh, I'd been a Twitch partner. I've been a, been a partner on Twitch for uh, seven years now, yeah. and uh, I, I ran. Uh, I became a YouTube partner shortly after that. Uh, I've been following and doing Star Citizen before that channel. I actually ran an old channel called Berserker Zero One, which is where the Berserker One comes from, Got which it. had been streaming and playing Star Citizen since 2015. So, and I actually backed the project back in 2014. Mm. So, uh, no, 2013, 2013. It was the year, the, the, the August of 2013 when the hangar modules first dropped is when I first backed. Mm. So I, I've been I've been around this project for a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I've I've been ever since 2017. I've been making lore videos, uh, covering Star Citizen. I've done other games. I've actually covered Cyberpunk, and mm. I've also covered uh, Starfield, which is coming out. So yeah. I do stray away here and there into other properties uh, that I think people who play Star Citizen might play or enjoy. So yeah, uh, to kind of get some of the background for those, which are always fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, but my my day job is a teacher, a history teacher. So that's why I call myself the Astro Historian. I actually do have a degree in history. Shocker. Uh, I've, been te- I've been teaching for over 10 years, uh, 12 years now, I think, uh, in in uh, secondary schools. Uh, I've been a yeah. research assistant multiple times for historians and you know for, for professors and such. So yeah. I've, I've, I've immersed myself in history. And uh, part of what I like to do is to look into the fake history of video games and other properties because I yeah. think it's fascinating how writers write those things. So. Absolutely. Well, let me be a little cheesy for a couple seconds and just say thank you for what you do. I think teachers okay. are some of the most underrated um, professions in what y'all do for for our kids. I have a seven-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter, uh, and and I value, extremely value, uh, the teachers that, that, that pave the way. So thank you for what you do as a teacher. So. Thank you for being a parent. I don't, yeah. I don't, <laughs> we, that way, I don't have to. It's, I don't have to to, to to just constantly be there for these children. Yeah. So I like. I, I love teaching. Uh, it's a job that I've, I've always I've liked to do, yeah. and uh, I do it because I like the kids. And yeah. uh, so I yeah. do. I do. Thank you, but also, yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I got. It's you. always good for. It's always good to have good parents who are who are you know yep. teaching their kids about right and wrong and also getting them involved in Star Citizen so they can be yeah. your, your shipmates and gunners. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm wasn't that why we're spending money is for the kids That's right because it's reason. it's not yeah. going to launch in my so, lifetime. <laughs> what's the what's the old saying where you know plant you plant a tree you'll never see the shade under that's that's what star citizen is that's the, the whole that's, purpose of star citizen that's our what grandchildren will play this game uh that old joke that's what it's feeling uh, like you know when somebody asks me about lifetime insurance i'm like well lti is more for my kids than it is for me so <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately that's that's how i view it so um okay so you first became a back or what 2016 is that what i started is, is that what uh, I heard? 2013 2013 man even more Dur- Wow. During the uh, during the hangar module, back when we only just had the hangar. Yeah, where is uh, that at? Why can't we have that back? Where? <laughs> I don't know. I want the Talk hangers Jared. back. <laughs> Maybe it's Jared's fault. Maybe it's Disco's fault. Well, now hold uh, on. We all, we all want the hangers back. Hold yeah. on. I read your comments on YouTube. Don't you have the solutions directly? I thought I thought you. Oh yeah. You. <laughs> yes. 
Apparently, apparently, YouTube comments have decided that I am CIG yes. from my videos. So, yep. um, uh, you you have given me power, and, and <laughs> this is power I will abuse. Uh, thank you, YouTube, for for giving me this power yeah. to 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 develop Star Citizen. Now, uh, none of you are getting all of any of your ships; they're all for me. <laughs> um, but you will get pizza. All right, in-game oh, pizza will be your there your. You go. your uh, Recompense. There you go. There you go. Yeah, if you could just text Chris uh, and, and please make <laughs> please make that happen. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I gotta call up Buster. She's the one who has the direct line to, to Chris <laughs> Roberts. To you. She's, there you so. go. There you go. Well, there's many different directions I could take. I guess kind of getting to know you, Paul. But I think the first one, uh, you know, 2013. So, what's been your favorite release up to this point? Uh, man, you've you've seen it all. Uh, it feels like mm -hmm. you've seen it all. So, so what's what's been kind of the groundbreaker, the the thing that you would brag to your friends and family about? Um, okay. So, this is hard to explain because I don't have the exact. I'm terrible with the, the the. I've been around for so long that numbers just fly through. So, like, I couldn't tell you the difference between three three and three seven or 312 because those are just numbers to me. So I don't really know the full date mm -hmm. of this. I, I know it was in the, the winter and then into the like the, the, the like November, October through November, December to about January, February uh, of a year. I think it was 2017 to 2018, mm -hmm. but it was the patch where the original Jump Town was happening. Oh yeah. So for those of you who don't know, this is a little bit of also lore stuff. Yeah. Uh, Jump Town was a, an event where CIG put one too many zeros behind the commodity of uh, Widow. <laughs> and I'm serious. It was just like one zero, like they, they misplaced a decimal point and it made the it made Widow trading the most lucrative thing in the game. Nothing else could compare to it. The problem was, was that there was no armistice zone around Jump Town. There was no location. You had to know where it was. Yeah. And the place, the only place you could sell it was at Grimhex. So you could fly, but luckily you could fly from Grimhex to Jump Town, mm. uh, but you had to slow boat it. So there was no quantuming. Nice. So you could get it intercepted <laughs> along the way. And because it was illegal and everything you were doing was illegal, it was this gigantic drug war where people over over several months, people were fighting over this location in this organic fight where you would go in, you'd pay for your 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 widow and you'd leave. Sometimes people would form orderly queues. Usually people would show up and just start killing people because they wanted to, <laughs> you know, that's what they wanted to yep. do. Yep. But it worked in this, this kind of natural gathering point. Uh, and it was so powerful. It was bringing people from outside the community to play the game. And it was just, we're talking about Star Citizen, which was much worse much worse back then than it was than it is today yeah and in terms of like gameplay and quality it was it was like it, we, we had i don't think we even had 30 fps average back then that's how <laughs> long ago it was but we were seeing i was seeing big name youtubers and twitch streamers coming on and trying it because of this just kind of organic event that had happened mm. and uh cig thought it was so impactful that they actually canonized the events of yeah. Jumptown. Yeah. So Jump Town is is in lore. All of the actions that people did at Jump Town is canon, and uh, then that's, so that's the reason why we have Jump Town event today. It's actually entirely based off of the Jump Town accident yeah. that was uh, the one that happened. <clears throat> uh, and I was so so enamored with it when I when it became part of the lore is that one of my bigger biggest projects I've done is a, an entire documentary where I took like actual accounts from people who had were at Jump Town during that initial event yeah. and 
made a documentary about it, in the, like an in-fiction documentary almost about the events of Jumptown. I based it heavily off of like the old Ken Burns documentaries. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah. it's a very, I, it's still one of my most proud achievements, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's doing okay. It's doing okay, but yeah. it's like, it's 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 an entre, uh, honest, uh, you know, it was really cool because CIG actually reached out to me when they brought Jumptown back and said, oh, can cool. we use your video? Yeah. Can we use your video as part of our our announcement? Yeah. So like so if you so people who to understand what John Town was who don't know about it. So I yeah. don't think they do that anymore. But it was it was in the first couple of ones. So it was nice. Well, I mean, in the first nineteen minutes, you've already proven your value. I, I had no idea. I, I had no idea, brother. I like maybe two or three episodes ago, when Widow the actual lore drop the article, yeah. when that dropped a couple of weeks ago, we did a whole like deep dive on it and talked about Widow and like yeah the fact that that commodity was so cheap i didn't realize it was a real life error <laughs> yeah and they just they just hey screw it let's just make it part of the lore yeah, yeah it's, it's a fan, it was a fantastic a fantastic addition and uh, uh yeah yeah well very cool man very cool so so then uh is it safe to assume that your default or where you would call home is is crusader or or would you call another planet system like your home where would you choose uh, i I've always thought that my my home system is Magnus, uh, okay. especially Borea. Okay. Uh, so, which which is the home of of uh, not Crusader, home of Drake Interplanetary. Got it. So, okay. They got this kind of rugged, always was the frontier town. It's always going to be a frontier town, sort of, you know, get up and go sort of attitude. And I always like the yeah, they're they're in the Empire, but they really don't like being in the Empire. So they always <laughs> just like to buck the trends and, and such so I, I like that attitude and yeah. I figured uh, it's a nice one and it also ha so happens to have a jump point to stand in so it's a there hopefully one of my the first ones we're gonna get after pyro so yeah. we'll, see. <laughs> well I, I like your answer because I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking of that like I was thinking the four you know general ones that you mm -hmm. select when you log into the game like Microtech and Orison yeah um, yeah so that's that's interesting I, I have defaulted uh, just to respond to that I, I have started in like area 18 Mm -hmm. But every time I've had the chance to reset, I, I've tried something different, yet I always default back to Area 18. I don't know what mm -hmm. it is. I, I don't know. I think it's because of maybe like the stores, um, like the equipment and the weapon systems are so close to your spawn point that you can get up and go oh, yeah. and, and move quickly. And obviously I love Genie Point. It's, you know, a, a pretty useful uh spaceport but yeah i didn't even think about anything that's in canon uh anything that's yeah. outside of what, what's playable area 18 tends to be my home right too just because mm. it's the most it's the most usable it's the most recent and, and it feels the most yeah. lived in it feels like one of those yeah. places that once yeah. it gets its real overhaul and kind of and touch up and glow up i feel like area 18 is going to feel like yeah uh the you know los angeles from blade runner or yeah, yeah. uh Absolutely. Or, you know, any other sort of like big, big sci-fi, sci cyberpunk city, which is this kind of bustling town of, you know, of different cultures and people bunch yeah. bumping around with each other, but super tightly packed with this massive cityscape, you know, the Coruscant experience. Sort of, so. Oh, man, nice pull. <laughs> nice pull. Star Wars, quickly, my son, my son, again, is, he's seven years old. He, uh, he told me yesterday, he's like, hey, dad. I would really like to watch Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, you mean like the Clone Wars cartoon? And he's like, no, Dad, I want to watch the original. I'm like, yes, it's happening. <laughs> it's, <laughs> That's, that, that is always a good time yeah. when, when, uh, when, when your child finally goes, I'd like to know the entire experience. Yes. And just like. Start me from the beginning. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> you've you've learned well. Come with yeah. me. You are about to you're about to un- what's that um there's that meme from uh from Malcolm in the Middle where the dad's like, you know, you can't go back from this side. <laughs> yeah. Once you've learned these these secrets, you can't you can't unlearn them. No turning back. That, that's yeah. there's no turning <laughs> back from here. <laughs> there's only like forty years worth of, you know, Star Wars lore to unpack there, but this is not a Star Wars podcast. But, uh, yeah, that was a very special moment. I'm like, all right, Friday night, it's pizza and uh, Star Wars. So, New Hope, let's go. Uh, Anyways, I digress. (laughs) Um, All right, hey, so so next question. Um, When you, okay, you obviously are not, like, spawning into Berea, but whenever you do get into game, what would be your, like, preferred play style? Are, Are you, like, a run and gun? Do you like delivering box missions? Do you like doing trade? Like, what's what's your shtick in game right now? I I find needs that are met. There are demands out there that need to be met. That are the legitimate legitimate gameplay. I'm telling you, legitimate. <laughs> There's nothing illegal about this trade. I'm simply meeting the needs of the people. I'm, I'm I usually do smuggling missions. So I tend to Fantastic. tend to do a lot of trading, especially since CIG really brought smuggling back. That tends to be yeah. my forte. Just. That's yeah. where the whole Magnus thing comes in. It's just like, like I'm just meeting the needs of the people, man. If there's a market, <laughs> I'm meeting it. That's it, yeah. yeah. You provide me the loop, I'm gonna take advantage of that loop. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. Um, this is not in our show notes, so bear with me here. But last week, we talked about the 320 potential of ship trespass. How do you think ship trespassing will impact um, like smuggling, piracy, sneaking on board someone's ship? Like, like, what are your initial thoughts on ship trespassing? I like the fact partially because one of the things they did was they're going to remove the ability for you to see everyone in the a local VoIP, which okay. is nice. So you can it's easier to trade trace. But now it's also you know a lot harder. So if you want to try to like smuggle yourself on board or sneak on board it's going to be a lot more difficult yeah um one thing i did like from that which uh was from a monthly report last month or a month before they mentioned that they were doing uh they have to do a specific law update for when you throw somebody out an airlock (laughs) and they're 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 calling it they're calling it the defenestration um (laughs) gameplay okay which is like, like they said, seriously, this is their defenestration update. When you throw somebody out a window, uh, we, you know, we need to have a, like a law for that. So if you're throwing somebody out a window, is it illegal or not? If they're a <laughs> trespasser on your ship, when you throw them out into deep space and it kills them, are you charged with a crime? Because they died in deep space, not on your ship. Right. So that was the like kind of thing that they're trying to figure out. Like, we have to figure this out. Where, where does the crime actually happen for the legality purposes? That's a so, really good... Yeah, that's a really good topic. Uh, yeah, because how would you how would you track that? But yeah, I, would, <laughs> I figured that's a lot of that's going to be happening uh, in our mm-hmm. near our near future. <laughs> um, so with with drugs smuggling, I'm going to take a guess here, mm-hmm. and you can tell me I'm I'm wrong and tell me I'm stupid. But would the Mercury Star Runner be one of your favorite ships, or what would be your yes. favorite smuggling ship? Yeah. Right now, strangely enough, it's the 315P. Interesting. Pathfinder. It's yeah. it's the same reason why, you know, uh, old old moonshiners and bootleggers would uh, would soup up old cars, you know, hot rods, and then just race them down the highways be, uh, to try to get from point A to point B to get away from the law. Yeah. Because uh, it's fast. It's really fast. It, it is. holds yeah. enough, just enough cargo that you need, because usually when you're, you're smuggling stuff, you're never going to get more than six to 12 units of any 
particular cargo in any because it just doesn't refresh well enough. Yeah, uh, it, it's, right. it's very fuel efficient it and uh, <laughs> it has a bed, so yep. it's it's got most of the things you need for for moving around. And you can customize it and make it, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. So by the way, um, for those of you who might not know, this is the Origin 300 series. What's really, what's really like sexy about the Origin 300 series is like when you buy it, you have the ability to go and customize it. And this is the first in my gaming experience, and I have 30 plus years of experience gaming. This is the first time I've experienced going into like a URL, like a website and being able to edit something like customize your ship and it reflect in game. So what Paul is referencing is like the 315 Pathfinder P is their version of like long distance travel exploration, um, but it's great. It's good for box missions. It's got a garage to put boxes. You can walk up there and it's got this, um, I guess cockpit if you want to call it that, but it's got a bed to sleep in. It's a phenomenal ship. But it's cool that you can edit it, like again through a website, and it's it's gonna be yours, man. Like color schemes and different uh, alarm clocks, which actually tells the correct UTC time. Very mm -hmm. awesome. Um, so it's just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal ship, Paul. And yeah, and the, the advantage is is that in the future, that customization is supposed to also end up in game as well. So when you're purchasing the ship in nice. game, you'll be able to use the same tool. That was yeah. their first implementation of it. So which is hopefully it'll be go further. But yeah, it's yeah. very nice. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, for me, the MSR, and I don't know if it's like the, I don't know if it's like the secret uh, compartments that that really gets me going. But like, if I if I talk, it's the Millennium Falcon. It's the it Millennium is. Falcon. It is. <laughs> like, <laughs> now that's that's fair. That's there's another Star Wars I, pool, but yes. <laughs> yeah, and I and I love it too. It just right now it's super it's super big. So like yes. for the the, yeah. the kind of gameplay we have, it just doesn't work. But like yeah. in the future, when you're going. Reinforce. When I'm going to Pyro to pick up stuff and come back, yeah. I'm gonna. I want. I want the Millennium Falcon yes. uh, with me to get yes. from point A to point B. Yes, <laughs> so. absolutely. Yeah. The, so the MSR again, if you're unfamiliar, the MSR does have a secret, uh, like under underground. I don't know, um, but like a walkable like cargo a, space. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like Jeffrey's tubes from Star Trek. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a it's it's yep. like a like a ventilation system, but it's, yes. it's for the servers. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely feels like the Millennium Falcon, but you can go um, through the, the entire ship and basically smuggle people or drugs or data. It's like the ultimate smuggler ship. So for me personally, mm -hmm. it's the MSR for that conversation. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess my last question before we get into like Invictus and the, like the really awesome points to this podcast, what are you most excited about between now and I'm going to say launch? I let's not get into that conversation, but launch. <laughs> between now and quote unquote, yes, <laughs> between now and quote unquote launch, what excites you? What 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 gets you motivated uh, with Star Citizen? Uh, I've always said that the the thing that makes Star Citizen success for me is being able to log into the game, get it with a bunch of friends go f fly around in space, do missions, make some money, have some fun, do some stupid stuff. Like the, the whole experience being playable and uh, repeatable and having those moments of just, yeah, like, man, this is awesome. I have, I've had those experiences in games like Arma and in survival games and in other space games. So yeah. it would be nice to have that sort of moment again in, in, in Star Citizen where you can just sit there and go, Man, 
this was fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, or I was scared or that was stupid. Uh, yeah. You know, th- those sorts of, those sorts of moments. And, and yeah. we're getting closer and closer to that. And I think, I think sometime after the multi-crew gameplay comes out, I think that's really what I'm looking forward to is the yeah. multi-crew gameplay for me to yell down and be like, fix my ship and my engineer to run around and be like, I'm trying, you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, and I think what's interesting about that, whether it's deliberate or accidental, it's all player driven. So the the cool moments, the cool moments that you and I are referencing, um, it's really like what you and your friends make it. It's not like there's a loop or something driving this this amazing story. It's something happened, whether it's Jump Town or whether it is, um, oh crap, what was what was the event that happened a couple of days ago? Uh, yeah, Xenothreat. Xenothreat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But this, like, okay, yes, we have a story that's pulling us into one central location, but what happens there? Who freaking knows? <laughs> it, it might be yeah. planned, it might not be planned. You might be uh, pulling out a pistol in, in space while you're flying EVA, um, trying to make something happen. But that's those are the stories, man. Those are the stories. So I, I definitely can relate to that, for sure. Um, okay, cool. So, so let's go ahead and go quickly because we are 30 minutes into the call or to the podcast. <laughs> no, 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 this is perfect. Uh, we are 30 minutes into the podcast. So I want to go quickly through this week and Beyond the Verse and Star Citizen. And then I do want to give us ample time to talk about Invictus. So just, just quickly. Um, and Paul, I welcome you to inject uh, any other, you know, colorful commentary if you want to. But on Tuesday, lore post. So Whitley's Guide, the MIC Prospector, again, three pages worth of data i think for me personally highlights and then i would love to hear from you um so 2910 uh 2910 is whenever they first began and it was based off the freelancer so misc freelancer Uh, they began this uh project to see what other variances of the freelancer they can do so they had like a data mining called the free miner they had a military one called the Observer, and then they had a mining one that they eventually called the uh, Prospector. But that all happened or started in 2910. They did trials in 2923. They launched it during IAE in 2924. And what we fly is the latest variation that came out in 2947. So this is the one with all the updated uh, mining tools and extractors uh, and the cargo bags. But uh, outside of the lore, quickly, if you're interested, uh, the prospector in mining is kind of like the vulture in salvage. So I would say those are probably the same. It's kind of the smaller volume worth of, um, of, of pulling minerals or pulling um, substance. Mining has the mole. There's not an equivalent. There's not like a medium in salvage yet. Um, so I don't, I don't yeah. think there's like a mole equivalent. But then the yeah. Orion is your heavy mining, whereas the, um, the Reclaimer would be like your heavy salvage. So yeah. there's kind of this correlation between the two. But Paul, any reaction to the, uh, this week's MISC prospector data? Uh, so they, 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 this is one of those things where they, they often pull these ideas. They have these ideas in Jump Point, which is a paid magazine you have to pay for to get it. And then they release them later for free. And the cool thing was, like, CIG always gives a reason for these ships to exist. Like, for instance, the Vulture only exists because of a massive discovery of an ancient vessel, which is thought to be lost mm-hmm. by a Reclaimer crew, or, yeah, Reclaimer crew, and they became billionaires overnight. 
because of the because of the find. And so they said, "Hey, we've got this old salvage ship we tried to make a while ago. Let's put put it up." And that became the Vulture. And this is very similar. Like Misk releases the Prospector, it doesn't do very well, but then they find this huge load. It was a uh, Gosh, what was it? Uh, Chessex, the Chessex load, mm. uh, which is a mass discovery on Farron 2, which was thought to have completely been out of min- minerals, that broke the news, and all of a sudden, more people were interesting, interested in uh, in mining because now these, you know, hey, you could do it too if you're just a lone miner out there. You might be able to hit the mother load and make you make all your money, which makes sense. It's the reason why we see some so many. It's why they sell pretty well is because people are they're selling the dream of of mining mm-hmm. of like being being out there and making it big, so. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we'll get into like the future of MISC. There was like this awesome drop about the Marais, which we'll get into in a little bit. But MISC, mm-hmm. I, I've warmed up to them, or MISC. Uh, I've warmed up to yeah. them. I, I initially, I hated them. The Reliance, <laughs> man, the freaking Reliant just pisses me off. Um, <laughs> I don't like anything well, about it. Ironically, but. the Reliant is named after, I believe, the Reliant Robin, which is a notoriously terrible <laughs> car in, in nice. made by, I believe it was a, a British company. I have to look it up. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Classic. Uh, but uh, the Top Gear did a whole thing on them. It was a three-wheeled vehicle that was just constantly tipping over and, and such like that. It was made in England, in uh, in, in Tampworth, Eng- in England. Yeah. And... Uh, when they named it, I'm like, you realize you just you just doomed this ship. Everyone's going to hate this shit because yeah. it's just a Reliant Robin, and and it, every current feels like that. Like where you just constantly get hit in the windows and the wings and it blows up. So yeah, I I, I don't I don't blame you for yeah. looking at the Reliant and be like, this is trash. Yes. You know, <laughs> why would I want this? Uh, yeah, what's funny is I've always defaulted to Origin. I I don't know. It's like the Tesla of spaceships. Uh, it's nice. It's luxurious. Um, it has the most, in my opinion, it has the most like versatility. The 890 mm. jump is freaking sexy. Um, so like you take you take that, <laughs> and you compare it to like MISC, MISC, or Drake. Some of these like industrial yeah. kind of like broken down skeletons. I'm like I I can't do it. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. Well, well, I can't. <laughs> so Solus, there's another reason why you're probably drawn to uh, to to Origin. Uh-oh. Their headquarters is on Terra, and it's called new austin there it is <laughs> so it's new austin terra so it's an austin company I and whenever they do it. a uh love it whenever they do a uh a citizen con in austin they always call, say that their the lore is they were doing it live in new austin terra so it's like I'm like love yeah it. that's just it so it's, it's origin origin town baby love so it called. yep uh for all of you listening or watching on youtube uh both me and paul are from austin texas so yeah cool little plug there <laughs> Yeah, we survived the ice storm from a couple days ago, so we're brothers already. Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> unbreakable bond uh, through the ice. Storm. Nearly dying is always good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's from a true Texan. Uh, ice, ice almost killed us. Um, okay, <laughs> Wednesday, Squadron Forty Two monthly report again, guys. There's nine pages, uh, and I'm not going to go through all nine pages, but the things that stuck out to me or stood out to me. Um, in AI content, I, development of the Fight Club, you, you got me. You put those two words together, I'm in. So Fight Club and character mm-hmm. locomotion continued. There's bouncer animations for the club entrance. L- let's go. I want to know where this is. I want to know where it's at. I'm probably going to hang out there in Squadron 42. <laughs> um, and, and quickly, Paul, I'm just going to go through all of this, and then if you have any responses yeah. to uh, the nine pages, by all means. Um, 
Another reference to uh, the four-legged creatures that players can pet. So it looks like there's going to be animals and pets that you can play around with, which, I mean, you can't ever say no to that. I know Galactica is going to be excited about that. Wait, they, did, they, did they say you could finally pet the dog? Uh, they, with the team creating a four-legged creature that players can pet. So what is that? They mentioned a dog. They Let's mentioned go. a dog in the last Squadron Forty Two episode. So it's it's like the, confirmed that you can pet the dog in Squadron Forty Two. There you go. That's, that's the important part. So money. Well, they did say a four-legged yeah. creature. Come on, guys. Like let, let's creature. just call it out. Let's let's call it out. It's, it's a, a dog. A, it's a space <laughs> dog. All right. It doesn't care, yeah. care what it is. It's a space dog. Yeah, you so. can't pet a cat. Cats are worthless. Um, all right. <laughs> All right. Uh, the physics team added winch support and rope system. So this is actually, um, I, I want to call this out to Tree. So Tree, if you're watching, Tree, if you're listening, um, this is something that he called out on social media and, and this drew my attention to this. But the physics team added winch support to the rope system, which allows them to switch between fixed and pulley attachments. What in the world are they trying to accomplish there? I mean, I, I get I get the physics of it, right? But like, what play loop is going to involve a pulley system? I have, I have, uh, I have tinfoil hat theories. Let's this go. Is something they've been. Let's they go. have been talking about the winch and pulley system yeah. for a year. Yeah. They've been talking about rope. They've okay. been talking about winches and pulleys. Yeah. And this, uh, at some point, they mentioned uh, I think one of the Star System lives where Jared said, "Just because we're doing beams doesn't mean we're not doing other things." Mm. So my theory is straight up. We're going to see rope puzzles in Squadron 42. Interesting. Like, where you're going to have to move ropes up with like little little things, so you can so you can do like like uh, okay. platforming and, and moving around and such. Okay. So, which is yeah. the only reason why they would do such an overhaul of the movement system that they've been doing and mm. the EVA system. So it's a little bit because right now platforming is. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna try to be as charitable as I can. Platforming <laughs> is terrible in Star Citizen right now, but they make you do it all the time if you want to escape prison. If you want to yeah. do a lot of like like exploration of old uh, wrecks and sites, you have to do like client clambers yeah. and jumps and such. Yeah, and it's not that good. It's no, not that it's, good. It's not. <laughs> so, so the fact that they're they're doing this, that's what tells me is that they're just they're trying to get everything in for a, a decent stuff. So, yeah. get ready for Sweat and Forty Two. The <laughs> apparently platformer uh, <laughs> that's gonna come out so. I, I believe like like assassin's creed or something like like, yeah, like, like, like kinda... a mirror's edge where you're doing like wall running across yeah. the way for space or something like that yeah, yeah. and maybe portals is more of a scientific like our science yeah. <laughs> more of a science way of, of approaching that but yeah okay all right I, I can see that for me and tree me and tree like so we're both military uh we're both yeah. veterans we immediately thought like dude let's bring on pathfinder and aerosol operations let's go oh let's go <laughs> I, I i would love for fast roping in this yes. game or 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 under slinging because that sounds absolutely terrifying yep. and uh also also funny Yes. Um, like, let's, let's see what we can underslung if we can undersling this this giant armored vehicle where we need to go. And then and imagine watch your ship explode. Exactly. <laughs> and then what you do with the ship afterwards, I um, mean that's that's half the fun. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, moving quickly. Vehicles, uh, the features in vehicle. I have the multi-function display systems now uh, supports comm calls, the heads-up display, and development of in-game markers. So just as you're flying, just uh, maturing their user interface whenever you are flying your ship. Uh, I think that's all I have for that. Oh, there's also a quote in here about managing wingmen correctly. And I think that's mm -hmm. 
controlling your NPCs is going to be a huge thing. And I guess, Paul, I would love to learn your opinions uh, or feelings about this, but do you think that NPC uh, control management will be a thing in Star Citizen? Yes, to a limited degree, but I think... Limited degree. Um, okay. It'll probably use the same wingman system. If you've played Chris Roberts' earlier games, Wing Commander, yeah. controlling your wingman and ordering your wingman was, was a heavy part of the game. Yeah. So we're going to see that, obviously, in Squadron uh, and probably see some of it in Star Citizen. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I want to point out as well is Please. something they've been talking about a lot, which is control surfaces. Okay. So they're now they're now for those of you who don't know, uh, control surfaces are the like the surfaces on planes that allows them to maneuver in in atmospheres. And uh, some ships do have control surfaces like the Avenger and the, the Hornet and the Gladius. They all have control surfaces on them, but they're not usable. They were trying to make them usable in the game so that you don't have to use as much thrusters to, to kind of keep yourself aerodynamic. Yeah. And uh, last month they said they've turned control surfaces on for the autopilot so that uh, you can now uh, use less thruster fuel to stay uh, to stay airborne, and the autopilot mm. will auto-adjust your course if you're trying to go in a certain certain degree. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting factor. So Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. Uh, man, I'm, I'm looking at the time. We might... You know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it. We are going to go until 9.30 tonight. I'm going to go ahead and add 30 okay. minutes to our, <laughs> our podcast. I'm Sorry not, about that. No, I, no. I, I have this... This I do great. this. I do this to every podcast yeah. I'm on. It's like, ah, oh, we'll do 30 minutes. It's like it's an hour and a half. Paul, yeah. it's supposed to be 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm not. I'm not going to steal uh, the viewer and listener from this from this awesome conversation. So we're going to add 30 yeah. minutes. We're going to be an hour and a half. Uh, first time in in eight episodes. So uh, right. the next piece, water volume. I, okay. So first off. <clears throat> Go watch today's Inside Star Citizen. Those graphics of the derelict sites are unbelievable. They are gorgeous. Um, the uh, the ray tracing with the sun sets and the trees moving, but the water refraction or reflection um, is is just stunning. And that's why I wanted to highlight this piece. Uh, but the water volume fine tuning uh, on planets, but even down to puddles. Um, they're they're really trying to make this kind of a believable space. But again, if you go and watch, and I, I granted it's it's white box, it's gray box. I understand it's a work in process. But those graphics that they're putting um, on these videos, it, it's absolutely remarkable. So I, I wanted to highlight that. Um, now I personally can't replicate that in game. <laughs> I've got a great gaming PC, but man, mm -hmm. I tell you, uh, I, I I don't have the ability to to um, to produce that in 4K the way they do. But it is a beautiful, beautiful uh, change or update into the graphics. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it looks fantastic, and every time they they pull that out there, because they're yeah. really showing off the fact that they're moving away from the old graphics engine to uh, Gen 12. Everything's Gen 12 now, and they're moving everything towards Vulcan. So not only yes. will we see beautiful graphics but soon potato pcs should be able to run star Citizen, which is impressive you mean my work laptop yeah i mean it's the vulcan is black magic when it comes to being able to run yeah. things um it, look up if, if those of you who are w watching look up doom 2016 vulcan and look mm. at the doom engine doom running on the original they do kind of like a, a cross compatible and they, they tell you that there's a bunch of videos out there that kind of show you like what vulcan can do for a budget PC playing mm. the game. So that game, when it came out, was super intensive in terms yeah. of your graphic settings. 
but then when they released the Vulcan support like a couple of years later, it turned it into a much more affordable. So that's what Star Citizen is probably going to do is going from this huge beefy machine to being like your your laptop might be able to run this game, which will be insane. When that yeah, happens. no kidding. So we'll have to mention that that coupled with all the tech um, milestones that they've been able to achieve mm-hmm. with you know containment or uh, object containment and persistent entity streaming and all of this like that or server meshing like that's going to be amazing to reproduce on like a work laptop now amazon if you're listening please ignore what i just said um <laughs> but, uh, but that's going to be incredible to experience um quickly let's wrap up uh let's wrap up the notes i'm on the last page guys um so they're looking at uh, the user interface tech kicked off new interior and mini maps. Uh, they've updated a complex destruction sequence, which I didn't think they need. The destruction sequence is sexy. It's beautiful to watch like an Idris during Xenothread explode. It's gorgeous. It's one of the most amazing things to watch in gaming, in my personal opinion. And the last uh, weapon VX teams have launched like damage and wear and tear to your, your weapon system. So man, I, nine pages. <laughs> yeah it's great updates and i'll say this before i leave it over to paul um a win in squadron 42 is a win in star citizen so these tech advances why we discuss it here on this podcast is those advancements that they make in this single player game is going to have a direct correlation or a direct reflection on that multiplayer experience in star citizen oh yeah uh the a lot of the stuff that they talk about in squadron 42 is only six to six to twelve months away from star citizen the AI updates they've been talking about for the last year plus, uh, which shows how complex and intricate the AI can be. The, the yeah. AI tag system that allows them to change up behaviors on a whim and generate them with specific amounts of ammo and weapons and the different profiles. So you, you never get bored because they want to make Squadron 42 a dynamic experience where yeah. no two, play th- two playthroughs are exactly the same. That stuff yeah. is going to be transported into the star citizen they it's just crazy. need like server meshing to be working yeah so a lot of the stuff i always say if you especially if you're a fan of squadron for you and you really want to see it come out that read the monthly reports they have yeah. just a lot of insight in what they can do like for yeah. instance the um the narrative team just uh what was the narrative team i think it was the gameplay story gameplay story said that they progressed with minor updates across a wide range of scenes including updating 20 scenes with either new pages props updates start and end times or general polish and maintenance and apparently this was a considerable body of work and accomplished it with so many updates. So a lot of stuff is being updated yeah. uh, with uh, Squadron 42. So it's it seems like it's moving in that direction of getting to an end zone. There's there's, yeah. there's a light at the end of the tunnel that they're getting to. So. <laughs> it, might be, it might be a long ways away, but that light is there. <laughs> Yeah. And it is at the end of the tunnel. One of the things, and I'm trying to remember like where I read it, but one of the things that I'm excited about with the narrative team is that they plan on telling a lot of their story through, like not dialogue, not like pre-constructed narrative, but they're talking about, you know, putting Galactopedia inside the game, putting a lot of the story in like Crusader as you're walking around. There's signage and there's... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's announcements on the PA system. Like these, these are the ways that they're going to announce um, or tell the story. And like that, to me, like I think Cyberpunk did that a little bit. If I if I can remember my time playing, like I think they did a lot of like the, that dialogue that's kind of sidebar 
sidebar dialogue mm. to tell the story. Uh, but I'm excited about that as well. With as much lore as this game does have, the way they're telling it, whether it's somebody in a college classroom reading a textbook about something, which we've talked about in the last eight episodes, um, mm. right? But like, there, there's just different ways of telling the story, and that's a breath of fresh air. You know, I come back six years ago when you were starting this, Paul. Six years ago, I was doing the Lore Seekers with Elder Scrolls Online, and it's mm. it's the same it's the same method. You have like some deity that's telling a story within a book. Okay, cool. <laughs> Next book, right? You move on. Um, but this is such an interesting way of telling that dialogue. So I digress. I, maybe a sidebar, but yeah. I think the narrative team is onto something. It's it's unique. Oh, yeah. I, I think when they get to things like NPCs having conversations in Star Citizen, just mm-hmm. just being like, uh, you know, complaining about you know, oh, shipment dates are are, are late because of stupid pirate attacks around uh, around the jump point, or. Yeah. Complaining about having the long work hours, and someone being like, "Have you heard of the the uh, Hurston U- uh, Resource Union? You know, you want to join, you want to join us and and fight the fight. You know, those, those sorts of things. Those little side bits where if you yeah. just listen in, you catch up. You're like, oh, these people have lives. There's things that are going on <laughs> other than me. Yes. And I think that's the biggest problem I've always had with MMOs. And I think Chris Roberts has even said that this is a big problem with MMOs is that it feels so static. It feels mm. like you are playing a single player game with just other people around you. Yeah. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough to sit down and, and talk with the uh, narrative director for Star Citizen. Uh, and uh, he said very, very plainly, like, our goal is to not tell the story through static dialogue and text boxes, Love it. but through the dynamic universe um, and, and and see through other people's eyes and, and, and bits and bits and pieces here where you're in a universe, yeah. not the hero of the not the hero of the imperium kind of thing you you yeah. are just a, you're just a pilot is what I for me. you're just a yeah. you're just an independent contractor in star citizen and you're yeah. just there so. yeah yeah I, it, that's that's so interesting you put it that way um because like it's one thing to play like i don't know what's the, what's the latest star wars like the jedi um uh, jedi fallen order yeah yeah, yeah. like you or, can play uh, the survivor yeah jedi survivor yeah 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 you can play like the hero of the story and it's the very typical but I, I welcome a game that does that i welcome a game that just makes me a number i'm okay with that like i want to mm-hmm. be a citizen in this universe not to play on words but all right Let's let's wrap this up. <laughs> so let's, let's move forward. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, um, all right. So later, uh, earlier this morning in um, or earlier this afternoon, Inside Star Citizen, we did have uh, the YouTube video again. We mentioned it a couple minutes ago. Go watch it. It's a beautiful, beautiful video of like the fifteen current um, diverse settlements that are they're in and around the Stanton system, but how they're projecting the future. Um, settlements to look and how it's going to interact with the worlds and how it's able to exponentially grow within uh, the planet system. So please go watch it. It's great. I recommend anything development related because it's just going to help build context and maybe increase your patience. <laughs> uh, my patience included on on waiting for this game to launch. So what I do want to call out, um, and then I'll, I'll I'll throw it over to Paul at the very end. They did do like a sneak peek on the Mirai. So so go watch it. Go watch it. Go watch the little like Mirai thing. Uh, but I not to like spoil it, but if you're familiar with Ford, the vehicle in the United States, like the Ford company, they have a performance line called SVT, the special special vehicle team. 
this is what Mirai is. It is the special vehicle team of MISC. And so they're they're promising this performance package, this uh, a racing package or a military package that's going to be above and beyond what they provide for just like your common purchaser. And so there's a good video on where it's going. They do mention, uh, well, sort of at the very end, they mentioned the fury. So I, I think we can mm -hmm. surmise that in Evictus launch week, we're going to see the the Murray, uh fury. So, mm -hmm. um, stand by on that, but it, it was just a really cool, and they do this all the time, guys. They do this all the time. They drop little Easter eggs, you know, here and there for us to pick up on. Um, but Paul, any reactions to today's Inside Star Citizen, if you were able to watch it, um, anything on the diverse settlements or anything on the Mirai, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I'm interested in seeing what the settlements come to because mm -hmm. they, they, they mentioned them as hostile settlements, but also friendly settlements. Yeah, so we could yeah. see settlements that you have missions at or mission givers or, you know, places you can go trade goods, which is, which is an interesting kind of adding more to the universe because right now yeah. everything that's not just a landing zone is either just kind of a carbon copy, uh, mm. like, outpost where you don't see anybody walking around other than players landing and, and, and taking off. Yeah. There's not really a lot of life in those places. So this sounds like they're trying to move towards that. This is a, a people live in this area. They don't just yeah. live in Lorville or in, or in Orison. They live in these small locations, these beaten down locations where they maybe just used what they had and built, built little small areas. Yeah. Uh, I'm also sort of interested because there's a, a mystery I'm trying to unsolve and unravel, which is what happened to the original settlers of Stanton? Because just as a quick aside, there were people in Stanton before the UEE found it. Yeah. And they removed them. And yeah. so it's like, where did they go? And yeah. are they still around? Did they come back after the UEE had settled it? Are some of these outlaw gangs or some of these places where these people pulled these things together? Maybe they're descendants of the original settlers from Stanton. And so it's, it's really interesting to be like, what happened to these people? And so this yeah. may be tying into that. I would love that. Uh, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be a good place for drug smuggling. Um, Cause like right now, when you go to jump town, you take the drugs and you take it back to like Olasar. Um, you take it back to these spaceports and you turn them in, but like, mm -hmm. why don't like, why can't you turn them into a derelict you know, location like yeah. that? That makes sense to me. So I think you're onto something there. Um, I, I agree. Like some of the, some of the future, um, the work in progress videos that we saw in this video, <clears throat> um, they, they almost look like a Star Wars, um, like the Mandalorian, mm. not to like plug that, but like a Mandalorian scene where it's actually a robust, like it almost looks like a community was living there. I would love to dive more into that. Like, what is this community? Where it comes from? Why are they not there when you're present? Are they always violent? Are they, you know, uh, civil? I think there's a lot of potential with where the story can go with this. So yeah. I think it's interesting. Uh, and and the, the the fury which they showed off in uh, the yeah. end or at least tease at the end looks yeah. fantastic. The first thing the first thing yeah. I saw when I saw it was this looks like the red tail from uh Faye Valentine ship from Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> it's just like it looks like that. It, like a yeah. little little pod thing. I'm like I'm I'm yeah. down with it. I'm yes, let yeah. me see more. Let me see how it works. So yeah, the Fury, uh, you know, it's funny. It has the cockpit of the Reliant. So when I first saw it, I'm like, no, stay away from the Reliant. Like, I don't want to see some bulbous, like, thing that you have to be in. But it actually looks solid. It looks great. The, um, like, the tagging 
the tagging on the ship that says Mirai. It's beautiful. It's well mm-hmm. done. Um, it's just another thing that's going to suck my money uh, up in the next week. So thank you, <laughs> Invictus Launch Week. <laughs> yes. So. And apparently it's one of five. There are yeah. like five new new uh, new ships coming in, which is yeah. uh, I, that's surprising me. It's huge. I, I'd only thought about maybe three or four, but that's a huge amount. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Yeah, it's got its own, uh, you know, its own day. I think it's the first day of Invictus, uh, Invictus launch week. It's going to be the Misk and the Mirai. That's going to be doing like a a joint a joint day. Um, which we'll get into Invictus launch week, what that means here in a second. But mm-hmm. um, last but not least, tomorrow. Um, there's going to be a Star Citizen Live where they're going to go over the new player experience. So tune in to their Twitch account at 8 a.m. Pacific. And then on Saturday, System 7 is going to be doing a racing league, uh, race number four called Cloud Chasers. So links will be in the bio and YouTube and in uh, your favorite podcasting platform. So stand by on that. Without further ado, we, we, we took an entire hour <laughs> Leading yes. up, yep, leading yep. up to the lore. So, uh, without further ado, let's let's get into this. Um, Invictus, what it means, where it comes from, and where we're going. So this is nothing new to be on the verse. You know that we go directly to the source. We go to Galactopedia. We go to the time capsules and we pull the information straight from CIG. We'll talk about the, we'll read it verbatim. We'll talk about the articles. Um, and then we will do a couple of seconds or a couple minutes of what it means to us. Um, I love Paul's insight as he's been doing this for 10 years. Uh, but this first article, and I think it's very important that we lay the foundation of who the Tavarin are. So we got to go back. We got to go back to the 26th century. And this, again, is straight from the Galactopedia article entitled Tavarin. Quote, The Tavarin are bipedal beings indigenous to the planet Jalen, Lysium IV, formerly Kalith. In 2541, human researcher Dr. Keller Lynch discovered a jump point into their system. At that time, the Tavarin were capable of space flight, quantum travel, and had highly developed shielding technology. Their society was martial, built around the warrior ethos of Rajora. The Tavarin attacked the United Planets of Earth, UPE, upon first contact and sparked the first Tavaran War, 2541 through 2546, which they eventually lost. Their systems were annexed to the UPE and humans set up colony towns on the Tavaran home world. I'm going to break from this article. So if you watched episode seven and even going back to episode six, we talked about a two front war We talked about in the West, and I say that in quotation marks because there's no direction in space. But in the West, you've got the Tavarin and the Vanduul. You've got a very hostile Tavarin who, when we first made contact, clearly we just read this, they wanted territory. They are overpopulated. They want to expand. They want to take over what the UPE has. So they started the war in 2541. The Vanduul, we will learn, if we haven't already, <laughs> the Vanduul, we will learn, is always going to be competitive. They are our main threat. So you get that in the West. And in the East, you have kind of a confusion. 
You've got the Banu and you've got the Shion, and you don't really know where their allegiance lies. There's evidence of terrorist guerrilla warfare between the Vandal and the Shion technology, um, the Tavarin and the Shion technology. So you have this question of who the Shion is, even though we're using them in some of our technology, like in the Misk mm -hmm. ships. Um, but the Banu, for the most part, seem to be the most peaceful. But you have this moment in time, and this is perfect timing because we're in the 29th century in our podcast. We're in this moment in time where we think we have peace, but we really don't. <laughs> in yeah. the next 100 years, we're going to see it all unravel, but it, it starts with this Tavarn conflict back in 2541. Uh, and it's also important important to keep into context that only a couple of years before this, maybe I think it was like 10 or 20 years, was when humans first encountered with the Jian. And it was not a friendly encounter. Yes. Um, as you probably covered, it's it, the, the, the humans tried to terraform one of their worlds. The Jian yes. were like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> what gives? And captured all of them and yeah. sent one person back um, to negotiate. And so you had several months of, of, of or weeks, I think, of, of the UNE fleet and the, uh, or maybe the UPE fleet at that time and the, yeah. the Xi'an fleet just staring at each other, <laughs> tensely negotiating yeah. what's going to happen. And part of that deal was humans giving over like the space data for all of their systems, yeah. which terrified people. Yes. Cause it's like, we don't know who these people are. They don't want to talk to us. They're very secretive and they want all where all know where all of our stuff is. Yeah. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. So they, they were preparing for war with Xi'an well before they met the Tavarin because they were like, this is a threat. They are yeah. the threat that we're going to have to encounter in the, in the future. Yeah. So when they stumbled upon the Tavarin, which was on the opposite end where they were preparing conflict, that was kind of a yes. whoops, you know, kind of moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and we learned in the overthrow of Imperador Messer the 11th, um, it was the it was the visual like it was the videos. It was the video of the death and destruction that mm -hmm. we caused when we tried to terraform these planets. So yeah, it, it goes it goes all the way back to the Tavar and it goes all the way back, like to your points to the Xi'an when we first started terraforming their territory. Going into the first Tavaran war again, straight from the website, the article first Tavaran war. Quote, the first Tavarin War was an intersystem conflict between the Tavarin and the UPE. The Tavarin declared war with humans in 2541, shortly after first contact. The motivations behind the war were complex. It was both a bid for the Tavarin to claim UPE-controlled territory to assuage their overpopulation problem, and a consequence of the high cultural value the Tavarin as a people placed on combat. The war was responsible for countless advances in spacecraft technology. Ivar Messer, which we'll get into here in a second. <laughs> Ivar Messer, then an officer in the UPE army, was propelled to power following the Battle of Idris, uh, a key conflict in the First Tavarian War. And eventually the Tavarin were defeated in 2546. I think this is an important, important article because, yes, we did start a lot of crap by terraforming other planets and other systems. Mm -hmm. We had this we had this like feeling of of righteousness where I deserve to be in the system. I'm mm -hmm. going to terraform it. I'm going to make it oxidized. Um, we did start a lot of issues. However, the Tavarin did have an initial hostile reaction to us being there. 
So the justification of going to war against the Tavarin, I think, is justified, in my personal oh, yeah. opinion. Um, no, the Tavarin started the conflict. They absolutely. intentionally started the conflict. It was it's it's there's no doubt about it. It's the the thing was is that for those who don't know, the Tavarin have this this system of rejora, which is this it's kind of like a Bushido code. It's very honorable and, and kind of steadfast. But the thing was that the Tavarin had only been unified for maybe a decade or maybe a, like maybe a, a couple of a handful of years, mm -hmm. uh, at, at most a hundred years, Tavarin had been a unified species. Up to that point, they had been constantly fighting amongst each other. And it took yeah. the emergence of what they called the warlord, the, the, the leader of the Tavarin, um, uh, I forget the name of the, their, 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 their government, but the leader of the Tavarin people to yes. unify the entirety of the Tavarin people. And at that point, because they had no, were no longer just killing each other constantly, they actually had a population boom, which they didn't have space for or the resources yeah. to, to, to deal with, and they didn't have terraforming technology. So they were, it was just like, we, they had nowhere to go. In fact, we found recently, we found a abandoned Tavarn colony in what's known as, oh, what is it called? It's, uh, I have to look it up. Oh, you're <laughs> just, fine. The blanks in my mind. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, we found one in, in a world that was, it's some, it's like two jumps away from Tavar in space. And so the question is like, was there a jump point that existed between this, mm. this place and uh, a cabal system, the cabal system. Um, but, it, but it was a pre Tavarn war, first Tavarn war location. Like the Tavarn had found this and started settling it because they didn't have terraforming technology. It was, was where they could live and they mm. abandoned it. We still don't know why. Mm. And they abandoned it. I think before the Tavarn war, first Tavarn war happened. So the Devarn War, it, like, it was 100%, the Devarn started it. And yeah. uh, the thing was is that unlike the Devarn, humanity had a, effectively a dumped most of its martial uh, past by that point. The, mm. We were hundreds of years past the Unification Wars. Yeah. There was no more real call for a, for a professional military. They had militias, and the, the most you'd have to deal with was pirates. Yeah. So, you know, humanity was speeding up because of the Dijon, but they were not ready. <laughs> for, so that's the reason why yeah. the Devarin were so successful early on, yeah. just because they were they were ready to go, and humanity was just not. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a spoiler alert. Um, they almost had us. Uh, they almost yeah. had us, if not for the actions of Avar Messer, which we're mm -hmm. about to get into. But um, they almost beat us in the West, and that would have been uh, traumatic for obviously for many reasons. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, let's get into it. So the Battle of Idris the Fourth, or Idris Four, the the planet Four, system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Battle of Idris Four was a major engagement during the First Tavarn War between human forces of the UPE and the Tavarin. It took place on one October twenty five forty four, on and above Idris Four. Before the battle, the UPE had been losing ground, resulting in the planet being overtaken by Tavarin forces. The tactics of a young Avar Messer ensured UPE victory at Idris IV and turned the tide of the war. This battle was key in beginning Messer's rise to power. A monument to the battle has been established on Idris IV. So the reason why I'm going this deep into the lore is because this mm -hmm. is Invictus. <laughs> like this, yeah. this right here is Invictus, Invictus launch week. Um, yes. It all has to do with Ivar Messer. So if we can understand where we came from and understand Ivar, Messer, uh, Ivar Messer's impact, we can then understand the Messer lineage 
of Imperators mm-hmm. and Prime Citizens, which we talked about last episode. Uh, and we can understand where we're currently at in 2953. So the Battle of Idris yeah. is, is super interesting. We'll get into the actual of our Messer like, strategy in the next article. But Paul, what do you got? So the thing to, to understand about Idris IV is that Idris IV was captured early in the war. It was one of the first places that humanity lost um, and they abandoned it, but not everyone left. So there was a group of people who were na- unable to leave or just unwilling to leave who stayed on Idris IV and literally ran to the hills. And many of these people uh, were not uh, not soldiers. Some of them were ex-soldiers. Most of them were just people. Yeah. And their leader, um, whose last name was Gray, um, was, uh, or no, was La- who's Locke. It was Locke. It was Locke was, was, was her name. Um, as she rallied them and began to do asymmetrical warfare against the Tavarin. So they would, they would blow up uh, communication centers and d- disappear into the woods before they could find them and communicated with the UNE and the UPE. The reason why the UPE even attacked Idris is because they knew they had people on the ground who could cause chaos for the Tavarin, so that to, to, to cause distractions before they could get in there. And because it was right next to Tavarin space, it was a great place to launch off an invasion point to uh, the Tavarin homeworld. Mm. So, um, so that's, that's important to keep to, to keep in mind. They actually called yeah. them the Greys, but the, the, the planet itself, the the the, the planet itself, uh, Idris Four, is actually named Locke after her mm. because of her uh, her actions during the conflict. So that's a great uh, pull. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I I try my best in the last couple of episodes, I've tried to relate it to like real world references. And I think there's, I think it helps to describe like where the narrative, where the narrative team might be coming from and what they're trying to relate to. So like, I look mm-hmm. at the, I look at the Tavar and almost like the Japanese, like they have mm-hmm. this art of war. They have this, this martial approach um, and, and what we're going to see is this this Messer character is going to be kind of the equivalent to that famous Marine photo, like United States Marines photo mm. of like stabbing the American flag like into the ground. Um, yeah. It's kind of that they're going to capitalize on his his heroism and they're going to use him as a PR asset going into the war. And so without further ado, I'm going to get into Avar Messer's article and we're going to learn a little bit about why we celebrate Invictus Launch Week. And it's again, it's based off of Messer's actions. Quote, he was a captain in the UPE 112th Infantry Battalion. Shout out for all my infantry officers. Uh, when he distinguished himself in the First Tavarn War during Operation Nemesis and in the Battle of Idris IV, when he took command after the death of his captain and led his troops to victory. The government capitalized off his image as a brave and charismatic officer in an advertising campaign to recruit soldiers, which that is Invictus Launch Week. We'll come back to that. After the war, he utilized this to gain political influence, securing a position in the tribunal, which is the advocacy, the well, the military, the law, and the um, where am I at? Military law and government. Or got, the the, um, the you've got the advocacy, the um, senate, and the uh, the general, the high, the high general. general. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The high secretary. It's the high secretary, the high advocate, and the high boom. Um, the high. Uh, 
secretary. Yeah, that's why that's why we have you. That's why we have you here. Yeah, yeah. So the, the tribunal um, as as high general. Then he leveraged public fervor uh, against the atrocity of Jata. Um, to create the new governmental position of prime citizen. We talked about prime citizen in the last couple episodes, so go check it out. But I'll stop there. So Messer, this statue, this, uh, you'll see him on posters. You will see him very much during Invictus Launch Week. Um, But this is Invictus Launch Week. It is the culmination, and I'll read the article here in a second. It's the culmination of a new recruiting year and the graduation ceremony of those of the previous year. So it's this military celebration um, that happens annually around this time to commemorate the actions of Messer during the first battle of Tavarn War. Yeah. 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 I can go into detail. Uh, Yeah. the thing, the thing to understand about about Mezer is that he was not anybody. Yeah. He was a captain in the 112th Infantry. Uh, I think originally it was the EU. He was a he's a European mm-hmm. uh, captain, um, but it was the 112th was was dropping with the Second Marine Armored onto uh, onto a place that they called. Oh, I think they called it the Hill. Is what they called it because it was a it was a a, a, a airbase basically, a Tavarn airbase that they wanted to capture and then re- reuse for their own fighters and bombers. And initially it went well. They get, went in, they smashed in, they captured it pretty quickly, but then they realized they were surrounded. <laughs> so the, uh, the 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 assault came in and it, it fell apart because in space it started to fall apart because they didn't know that there were these giant orbit, uh, defense lasers that were, <laughs> were firing at them. They didn't think we're ready. So the, the, the Navy was getting smashed up and they couldn't send in any reinforcements because they would just get smashed. So the, the, the Colonel died, then the Major, then the Captain, and it left Ivor Mezzer, this nobody Captain from nowhere that nobody cared about. And he immediately took control, got a couple of the special operations that were just starting this part for basically a group of uh, what we today call Marine recon forces, mm. get them. He'd said here, we captured this skiff, go turn off those guns. And so they just left and they went off and actually managed to do, to, 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 to do it, to turn off the, the, the orbital bombardment and turn, actually turn them on the uh, Tavaran Navy first before they, they, they left and then spiked it and blew it, blew them all up. Mm. Uh, and it was him. He, he was doing things like calling round the clock, Danger close bombing missions on his position with retaliator bombers to stop the Devon because they were getting that close. They were charging like within inches of their their front lines, which is why these leaders kept getting kept getting killed. Yeah. And uh, if it wasn't for him basically taking control and and, and clearing the chaos, the, the battle would have been lost. That's just why he became such a hero because he was a good leader. And uh, the, what kind of turned him into a villain was more of his inability to turn off the leader the yes. turn off yeah. the I'm an, I'm a general in command yeah. of my army and you're going to listen to me because that's what I tell you to do yep and yeah that yeah. that that whole expounded out was was not <laughs> it was kind of his <laughs> his downfall and his you know preceding generations yeah. you know who took that to heart and weren't as good as him or as smart as him or as talented as him when it came to yeah. tactics or politics and yeah and we get Linton Yep. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it it's an interesting pool. You know, the difference I've always heard this, like the difference between like 
a ranger in direct action and a special forces operator in foreign internal defense is the ability to turn it off. Like it's one thing like kick down doors and direct action and go, go, go. Um, but it's the ability to also navigate the, like the EQ side of, of, of the war or of the situation. And I think what we see here is like, we, we've got this Ranger or to your point, a Marine recon, we have this, like this go getter land. He's ready to kick down doors. He's ready to go make this happen. Um, that works that works in direct action that works in direct like conflict but when you get into the political hemisphere of of what happens in the next several you know years centuries um you'll see and if you haven't already um heard a lot of the political starts to come up a lot of the um the atrocities that happen across the system the the reason why the emperor was was overthrown around the 2800 uh time frame is because of this inability to turn it off so i think that's a great pull paul thank you mm. which gets us into invictus launch week all right Straight out of the yeah. article. Let's go. Sorry. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. We're finally there. <laughs> An hour and 18 minutes. Uh, here we go. Invictus Launch Week, or all the ways known as Fleet Week, is an event held the last week of May that marks the beginning of a new recruiting year and graduation of the latest class of officers and pilots of the UEEN or the United Empire of Earth Navy. It originated in obviously 2542 during the first Tavarn War when the UPE tribunal in need of new soldiers in the face of the Tavarn invasion sent transports from star system to star system to pick up volunteers and transport them to the UPE naval base Invictus on Mars or Sol 4, but you all know it as Mars. It was established in yearly uh, as a, a yearly event under Imperator Ivar Messer I we just talked about him in 2581. Today, uh, although the Invictus base no longer exists, the event is still celebrated by the UEE Navy under the same name. Break. Yeah. So if, if you have been listening to Beyond the Verse Star Citizen podcast from like episode one, you know that I started playing just last year. I'm about to hit my one year anniversary. So unlike Paul, who has like 10 years of, <laughs> of Star Citizen like experience, I joined during this event, which it was the dumbest thing I could have done because it's all the fanfare. It's all the sexiness mm -hmm. that CIG could put into a game and they unload it in one week. You're gonna see every vehicle. You're gonna see every flyby. The, the Bingle carrier is gonna fly by. You're gonna be able to tour the Javelin. It is an amazing experience. So whether you're new to the game, you're trying to decide whether or not to dabble or get into it, or if you're a seasoned veteran and you're like, hey, is now the right time to get back into it? The answer is yes. This is the time. It's either Invictus Launch Week or IAE um, that I would recommend, which is like November, which I would recommend going going both feet in, going all in, experience the the amazingness, <laughs> the 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 awesomeness that is. Um, star citizen this is the time to do it because you're going to see some amazing things um, that you're not going to see in any other game so i'm a fanboy when it comes to invictus launch week they can't do any wrong it is a very <laughs> very fun fun event paul what are your favorite invictus launch week experiences here 
Well, I mean, there's there's a lot. There's They've a lot of been them, doing yeah. this for a couple of years now. Yeah. But uh, the first one was amazing seeing the fleet come out because they mm -hmm. brought out the Javelin for the first time. And it was like, whoa. Yeah. And then I think it was last year. No, it was it was first year they actually you know parked the Javelin and you could tour yeah. it. And it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and they had these. Crazy. It's a great because they have the NPCs who are sitting there being like, this is the bridge. Or, this is the mess. This is the, the, the habitation deck. This is the, yeah. the gunners. They even let you get into the guns. Yeah. And uh, and like look around and that kind of stuff like that. It's it's very authentic Fleet Week experience. If you've ever been to a Fleet Week, where like the sailors will show you around the ships and, yeah. and try to show off, like look at how cool this is. Yeah. Know? And <laughs> uh, watching the fleet fly by, and then last year's the first year they brought the Bengal in, and that thing yeah. is glorious and intimidating. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like all, all I can say is that in Squadron Forty Two, if that thing shows up at any point, you're just going to sit there going. Oh my god! Like you'll feel safe for like it's just one of those things when it shows up. You're just like I, I am. I nothing can defeat this thing. I am. I am safe. This is fine. Yeah. Everything is fine now. I don't care how bad things are. This thing is here now. Yeah, it is huge. It's crazy. It's so massive, and it's so it's so cool to see. And it, yeah. it really is this kind of spectacle yeah. that CIG puts on of, of really showing off the, uh, the what Star Citizen can do. What Star yes. Citizen could be. Yeah, uh, complete with firework shows. Oh, <laughs> yeah, in space firework shows. Uh, it's it's great. It's great. It's a great yeah. experience. Plus, being able to fly and uh, all of the, the ships all that the are in ships. the game and for free and stuff. It's always nice. So, yeah. So let's go into that real quick. Um, it, it is it is the best time to get into the game and the worst time to get into yes. the game. And I'll explain it because <laughs> if you have the money, uh, you, you're gonna spend it. Um, so yes. So to Paul's point, um, you can get so every day there is a a set of vendors so drake origin misc i'm not going to go through all of them but every vendor will have their day and so what happens and i'm not exaggerating paul hold me accountable here but they will like fly the ships into the expo center which this year it's at area 18. they'll mm -hmm. fly the ships into area 18 at 10 a.m you know central and you're gonna you can walk like you can literally walk your happy ass into <laughs> this auditorium and see every ship on display for this vendor so if you're interested in the mirai fury or the misc um reliant you're gonna be able to see and rent for free all of those vehicles on day one yeah. Right, and the schedules. Now, sadly, go ahead, please. Sadly, they don't, they don't, they don't land them. You don't get to see yeah, them yeah, fly yeah, yeah. in the land. They, they, but they yeah. do, they do. You do get to see the transition where, like, they they go from one day to another. Yes. You go to the other day. You go to a different floor, and you can go yeah. check out the, the new the new ships. It is, but it is literally every it, Invictus is a little bit more restrictive than IAE. Yes, but it's every combat ship. Every, every combat, combat ship yeah. you could ever want in the game is there. If it's flyable in Star Citizen, you can fly it and rent it, yeah. including tanks, which is yeah. <laughs> so. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, this is this is a good time to see like what you know play loop interests you. If you if you wanted to try uh, the MSR but didn't want to spend a dime on it, now's the time to do it. Um, this is a week that I mean it's going to be high velocity, and we talked about high velocity in development in one of the last episodes. Um, it could be good and it could be bad. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. If it's high velocity during like 318, I'm scared. But if it's high velocity during 319, okay, all right, we have some promise. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to keep like optimistic here, Paul. Uh, 
Um, but it has the potential of being an amazing event that's going to like, again, unite, reignite um, a lot of the community for all the right reasons and why we play Star Citizen. Oh, yeah. So um, quickly, we have five minutes left. I want to kind of wrap up to get us up to where we're going to be talking uh, next week. So again, okay. last week we we rounded up with the arc. It's the peace treaty that happens um, with all alien races except for the Vanduul. So I want to take us through the Invictus launch to the 29th century. So let's talk about that real quick. And I'm going to go fast and heavy. Paul, I'd love to hear your recap, and then we can wrap this one up. Sure. So yes, Invictus launch week happens of our Messer, a hero, but we have a second Tavarin war. The second Tavarin war was an armed conflict between the Tavarin and the UEE that lasted from 2603 to 2610 in the 27th century. It began when Krathal, a Tavarin warlord, launched a campaign to take back the Tavarin homeworld, which is Jalan or Jalen uh, Elysium 4 from the UEE. Lacking the numbers and resources from the First Tavarin War, the, the Tavarin waged a protracted guerrilla based campaign over the next seven years. Guys, we talked about this in the last episode this guerrilla warfare, this using the Xi'an technology to commit terrorism. This is where it comes from. When it became clear that the Krathal, that the Tavarin were going to be defeated after the Battle of the Centauri, he and his remaining forces removed the thermal shielding from their ships and dove into the atmosphere of Jilin, which we talked about last episode. Their self-immolation prompted the Tavarin to cast off the culture uh, that had failed them and fully assimilate into the UEE under the rule of the Deacon Messer II. Straight into the Battle of Centauri. Come with me. Right. Cool. So, <laughs> go ahead, please, Paul. I was going to say the yeah. the thing to understand about the Second Tavarin War was that everyone thought it was going to be easy. The Tavarin showed up and said, "We want our home homeworld back," and the UEE said, "We already beat you once, old man. We can beat you again." <laughs> and uh, yeah. they were wrong because yes. <laughs> they came back with better technology than they had ever seen before, and yeah. were very, very good at unhinging. And this wasn't this was no longer Ivor Mezer, the hero of Idris Four. It's his son, yes, Deacon. Deacon. He is not a military genius. He's not a military commander. He's relying on the people who he thinks knows what they're doing, and nobody really knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, fun fact is the, the the Battle of Centauri, which we'll which go over right here, is the battle that really made the name for Squadron Forty Two, the title squadron. Yes. It's <laughs> so. a great right. great segue, Paul. Thank you. It's yeah. like it's like you've done this before. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe uh, <laughs> yeah. Enter the, the Battle of Centauri. Uh, so this is the Squadron 42 story. This is it. Quote, The Battle of Centauri was an armed military engagement between the Tavarin and the UEE and was the final battle of the Second Tavarin War. On 24 June 2610, that's a huge date. Write it down, get it tattooed. I don't know. 24 June 2610. The Tavarin warlord Carthal and his forces entered the Centauri system with the Centauri Elysium jump point as their goal, around which the UEE Navy had placed a blockade. This is important. Instead of charging for the jump point, Carthal's fleet diverted for Yar and Sai Sai? Sai Sai? Sai Love it. Thank which you. Which is actually the, uh, the headquarters of Misk. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good yeah. pull. Good pull, man. Thank you. Forcing the UEE Navy to break its formation and defend the populace, leaving a small contingent of ships behind to protect the jump point. This is important. 
Captain Alexandra Dunleavy of the UEEN's 42nd Squadron, believing that this strategy would fail, convinced her commanding officer, Admiral Tybolt Fraser, of the UEES countenance to pretend to retreat under fire from the approaching Tavaran forces. As Korathal's fleet broke formation to enter the jump point, the 42nd Squadron, Squadron 42, ambushed them and took out their shields, giving the UEEN the opportunity to destroy a majority of the Tavaran ships. While Korathal and his remaining forces did manage to break the line and enter the Elysium system, they lacked the numbers to retake it. Instead, they chose to immolate themselves in the atmosphere of their former homeworld, bringing the Second Tavaran War to an end. And so if you recall, in Episode 7, we talked about really the heartbreaking story of the artist, right? The artist standing at the lake or standing at the water watching that ship go into the water and burning in flames. And I talked about the realism of like, man, when you have nothing else to lose and you're like, this is it. I can't win. We're just going to wrap this up, but at least we're going to wrap this up in our home world. It's a very, very touching, very depressing story. If you think about it from that purview, uh, but that's it. That is the squadron 42 story of a, of a, a of a false front or a, a trick of the strategy to be able to overthrow and overpower this Tavaran fleet. The, the secret of Squadron 42's success was they're actually a penal squadron. So there were, there was, the war had been gone on for a very long time. They were losing good pilots. They couldn't take any pilot who was, uh, who was still able to fly, but maybe mm. wasn't too good at following orders. So they would throw them in these penal squadrons to just say, hey, we're going to throw you some garbage duty, you know, uh, escort duty to, to behind the enemy, you know, behind lines. We'll do things that you weren't supposed to do. If you played Ace Combat 7, that's Squadron. That's what Squadron 42 is. Yeah. And, or was. And uh, the thing that the that Dunleavy realized was that they were actually really good pilots if you didn't try to control them like pilots, like soldiers. You did Instead of mm -hmm. giving them orders to do what they're supposed to do, you would give them a general command and then just let them do it on their own. So mm. she became, she turned this kind of rabid group of, of just prisoners, basically, into an actual pretty good fighter squadron. Mm. And by using a tactic which was just turning their ships off so that no one could see them, yeah. when, uh, when, the, when their, their fleet disengaged and, and they started piling into the jump point, they just turned on their ships. And because they weren't registered on the, on the sensors, the, the Tavarn didn't know they were there until it was too late. And then they could jump on them when they were no longer able to have their powerful uh phalanx shields on yeah and uh that's how they they, they they won the war and yeah tears of fire is still yes. a very very emotional piece yeah. <laughs> yep. especially when you know that the guy who who who, who did that the person in the, fi the figure itself is actually a, a medic he's an army medic yeah who was who was who was watching the whole thing yeah so it's like you know someone whose sole job is to save lives watching just countless death in front of them without able to do anything it's kind of powerless to do things is pretty powerful oh. as well so yeah it is it, it is they um and this is like maybe lofty you know to think about but i would love to see this in some sort of like not like movie form but i hope yeah. squadron 42 or star citizen i hope they somehow tell the story through like video like i i want to yeah. see this play out i want to see it play out because yeah. it's so beautiful um 
let's wrap it up getting us to the 30th century and we're talking the Tavaran purge and then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll be done for the night the Tavaran purge was a movement sparked in the immediate aftermath of the second Tavaran war in which the Tavaran voluntarily severed connection with their culture this is the martial culture that we talked about they destroyed records denounced the Rajoran code which Paul talked about tore down temples, obliterated other aspects of the civilization that had previously defined and ultimately failed them. Most of our abandoned their home world and assimilated to the UEE. Let's fast forward. Until the 30th century. Beginning in the 30th century, there has been a growing movement among the Tavaran to reconnect with their former culture and language. So I'm going to leave beyond the verse there. (laughs) So here we are, 30th century, which is the 2900s, which is where we are in our podcast. This plays out absolutely perfectly. Um, But what happens now? The Vandal weren't present during the arc. The Tavarn are interested in getting back to their martial law. What happens in the 2900s? You'll you'll have to find that out. But I will say that... uh, that uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Senator Suj Kosi, uh, who is a fantastic figure who who kind of encapsulates one aspect of Tavarin life in the 30th century, because their perspective versus the perspective of the Tavarin who are not in the UEE is a big thing that'll probably play into the the, the narrative of Star Citizen going forward. So. Yeah. Oh, it's it's exciting. <laughs> it's absolutely exciting. Um, and and with that, Paul, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for staying with us for an hour and a half worth of the podcast. Yeah. Um, your insights, experience, going into the lore, man, greatly appreciated. Plus, just being a good person, I, I can tell. Like you're you're an amazing individual, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, well, really, thank you for having me on. It's very it's very good to go go on to these places, especially since. Yeah. I, I like seeing other parts of the Star Citizen community that I may not have interacted with. So hopefully Absolutely. Say, say hello. So. <laughs> well, you're welcome at it at, at any point. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lore moment in the future that we're going to want you want you on in your insights. So thank Just you. Just let me that. know. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And likewise. So for everybody else, um, again, thank you for joining us on YouTube. You've seen us live. This will be on available um, for replay, obviously on YouTube. It's going to be live Friday morning on podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Paul, if anybody's interested in diving into the Astro Historian, the Astro Pub, where can we find you? You can find me at youtube.com slash the Astro Historian or youtube.com slash the Astro Pub live. And I do live streams at twitch.tv slash the Astro Pub, which is... uh, we I usually go live uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, yeah, that's great, man. That's great. Yeah, if you if you haven't followed him, please do. His content is freaking amazing. CIG is using it, like we heard earlier in the yeah. call. So please, please go follow him. Uh, and with that, I hope this finds everybody well. Have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host Solus. Join our in-game organization, Soul Provision, by applying at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. You can get involved in the conversation with your questions, comments, or emotional outbursts by emailing us at starcitizenbtv at gmail.com. Watch us live on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central at youtube.com forward slash at starcitizenbtv.com. 
and follow the conversation over at Twitter and Instagram, both at forward slash star citizen BTV. Once again, thank you for joining us. We hope this finds you well. Until next time, safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse. Thank you.